0: Do you find crypto confusing? Are you unclear about the nuances of NFTs? And how will the future of digital currency impact your financial brand's future growth? Well, let's demystify digital money together on today's episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Greetings and hello, I'm James Robert Lay, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Banking On Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome Professor Tanya Evans to the show. Tanya is a distinguished professor at Penn State Dickinson Law and leading expert in intellectual property and new technologies. She's also the author of the new book, Digital Money Demystified, which we're going to talk about today, to guide you forward on your own journey of growth at your bank, at your credit union, or at your fintech. Welcome to the show, Tanya. It is good to share time with you today.
1: James Robert, I uh, appreciate you so much. I'm looking forward to this.
0: I am looking forward to this as well because this is an important topic. It is a timely topic. It is a meaningful topic. And before we get into talking your new book, Digital Money Demystified, What is good for you right now, personally or professionally? It's your pick to get started on a positive note.
1: Outstanding. Well, I'll go the personal route. I had the chance over this last week to spend a lot of time with my darling mother, uh, also known as Tanya's mom. But this weekend, I was actually Susan's daughter. Uh, We were in D.C. together attending Howard University Homecoming I graduated in 98 from the law school, Howard University School of Law, and I'm celebrating my 25th. She was celebrating the 55th reunion of her line sisters uh, and attendance at uh, Howard University. We're both members of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. But just to hang out with my mom at Howard, doing adult things and uh, connecting with each other is fantastic. Because we don't live in the same place, so that that has me on a high for sure.
0: Well, you also—that's the personal side, but the professional side—you've you've got this new book, Digital Money. Oh, that Be-
1: little thing. Yes. Yeah, Digital Money <laughs>
0: Demystified. And I know, as a fellow author, the time it takes, the effort it takes, the energy it takes to write a new book. So my question to just start this conversation: Why take the time? to write Digital Money Demystified right now?
1: Oh boy, I I got so tired. First of all, as a a law professor, I teach blockchain crypto and the law and obviously engaging with the next wave of lawyers is fun. Uh, I'm fully immersed in that. But the idea of reaching a broader audience of uh, Folks who don't necessarily have a tech or finance background mm. who really got wrecked at the, the height or the cliff uh, that we recently experienced with the latest bear market. And was so much misinformation, disinformation, uh, information that we call FUD or fear, uncertainty and doubt, and also so much FOMO. And every time there's a price pump, you're going to see a lot of folks come in. Uh, who are less interested in learning what's underneath the hood and more about how to make a quick buck or satoshi as the case may be. And I just wanted to find a track in between the carnival barkers and the naysayers to really separate fact from fiction so that people have the clarity they need to make informed decisions. And I was doing a lot of speaking engagements I have my own weekly podcast as well, Tech Intersect, and I thought it was a good idea to sit down, create an evergreen book that focuses on the myths, not necessarily the technology. Of course, the tech and laws, regulations change almost every day, but the myths persist. And I wanted to get at the heart of that to give people a solid foundation um, in a safe space and place to learn from a trusted voice and then to make their own
0: decisions. I appreciate that the idea of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, because it's often fear of the unknown that holds many people back from at least being curious, learning, and I think if we can just come away from this conversation with an open mind of what are the possibilities, but also being well-informed of the misunderstandings, the misinformation, the misconceptions, that are holding people back, even financial brand leaders who are listening right now. What are these? What are the big misconceptions that people have in the present moment around digital money?
1: I think one of the top ones, I'm sure you hear this a lot and, and you see it from the sensational headlines and the actual headlines, hashtag Sam Bankman freed about crypto, crypto, and lumping everything in, which is also a myth. Crypto is all just for criminals, a fad. um, All of it is a scam. It is wholly unregulated, um, too volatile, which was an interesting bit of research that I did for the book to kind of challenge my own assumptions and misperceptions about volatility that Crypto, maybe just for a unique and specific set of people. So, not kind of for a more diverse and um, well informed and accessible area of finance, maybe just a tech bro or crypto bro, whatever that is. And so, there are a lot of misconceptions and uh, uh, misperceptions and misconceptions about who's involved, what. Crypto is the fact that we have over 30 or 40,000 different types of coins and tokens. And of course, that doesn't even include NFTs, et cetera. So uh, really pushing back against the perception that this is wholly criminality and and for purposes of the book, just leaning into uh, companies like Chainalysis and others that do really extensive blockchain forensics to be able to actually follow the money. Like a public permissionless blockchain is a terrible place. To engage in persistent criminal activity. Uh, and chain analysis uh, reports, even as recently as this year, say that less than 2% of crypto asset use is used in the uh, engagement of illicit activity. And final point the almighty dollar is actually the number one currency still being used uh, in, in criminal activity and I'm not burning my dollars, uh, although they could probably print more and I suspect you're not burning your dollars either. So kind of separating back from fiction about the why, the what, um, and the where is, is one of the first parts of pushing past those fears that you mentioned.
0: This is fascinating because perception creates reality and if all you're hearing is the bad, the negative cryptos only for criminals, well, that becomes your reality perspective is the sum of context and framing. But I think for context here, for those who are listening or for those who are watching, we've been here before. Let's go back right. to 1994. The, that was the year that the Internet reached the mass consciousness of humanity. And it's interesting, in hindsight, we can go back. There was uh, Paul Krugman. He was a 2008 Mm -hmm. Nobel Nobel Memorial Prize for econ scientists. He wrote in 1998, so four years after 94, he said, by 2005 or so, it will become clear that the Internet's impact on the economy has been no greater than the fax machine. Well, (laughs) here we are, almost 30 years later, and I'm seeing history repeat itself, but it's not just with – the internet, obviously, you now have digital currency, digital money, which mm-hmm. can be then subdivided into these different buckets, but you also have this whole other AI capability. And when people's perception and working with executive and senior leadership teams, I ask them, Well, what's your perception of like AI or Chat GPT? Well, that's what kids that's what kids are gonna just use to cheat in school. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're hearing over and over and over again. So what what's the story behind the story if you will what let's demystify some of this what's the difference between quote-unquote crypto and nfts and then maybe even going down the whole idea of decentralized autonomous organizations i mean that's a whole Mm -hmm. other rabbit hole Let's break these down because they people might have. Is that an understanding? They they have knowledge, they have awareness, right. but they don't have understanding, and there's a difference between the two.
1: Yeah, it it uh, so much of that may even fit into the quadrant that folks don't know that they don't know. Right. So to your earlier point, you see a headline, you see an acronym, and maybe it's clickbait worthy you read a couple of sentences and then one the person knows everything there is to know so that <laughs> they can reject it out of hand right which i think is 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 at a at a very basic level just fundamentally i want to use the word lazy it, it sounds like a judgment charged word but i think it comes from my um just natural curiosity my focus on intellectual curiosity lifelong learning yes and n- you know, always wanting to be intellectually curious, but also, I'm a lawyer and a law. I'm a tenured law professor. I have a co-hire appointment at the Penn State Institute for Computational and Data Sciences. Like, I get that part, but there's a certain fundamental cautious curiosity about the impact that technology, at least, can have on your existing area of expertise. So, you mentioned three areas: um, crypto assets, more broadly. Non-fungible tokens, DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations. I was the chair of the Maker Foundation. So that's how I cut my chops on the DeFi side. And just at a high level, when we even think of cryptographically secured assets, where does the term crypto comes from? Because cryptocurrency is a bit of a misnomer to me. I'd be interested in in your thoughts. But cryptography has been around for a long time. The idea to encrypt messaging. yes. Um, using times of war. Or if you have to move information from one place to another, that has been around for millennia, dare I say, in some form or fashion. Obviously, it's digitized now. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you take the idea of currency, the ability not only to exchange information using, again, existing technology, peer to peer networks used to be used for file sharing. For those who are listening or will listen, that's like, I have air quotes because I'm an IP lawyer. So some of of it was copyright theft. It's fine. That's a story for another day. But now we can use peer-to-peer technology to exchange value, not just information, and obviously leveraging the internet to do that in, in a novel way to organize and protect that data when you're thinking about the data of transactions and balances. And that brings us to blockchain,
0: right? And, um and, and but I, wanna, I, the, I wanna pause yeah. you here because I think that's such an important point. You brought the internet back up. Mm. All of this comes back to ninety-four when we're talking these different types of quote unquote digital currencies because they're built mm. on the back of the internet. And if you think about for example, just just I, I wanna pause on on, on currency that right yeah. there because i was having this conversation with a board of directors the other day and they were asking well what about your what were my thoughts on crypto and i said well i i don't want to go down too far into that rabbit hole because it would have taken us off track for that particular discussion mm-hmm. but they're like i don't i don't get it how can something be intangible and and, and and it has value and i go "Well, well what is money to begin with in the first place it's just the store of value Mm -hmm. And and it's an agreed upon value. There's some value there because if we go back to kind of the dawn of time, seashells has stored the value and you could exchange your seashells for some other physical, tangible good. What has happened though, since 94, Peter Diamandis has written about this is Mm -hmm. physical assets have been digitized And when they get digitized, they get decentralized. When they get decentralized, they get democratized. When they get democratized, they get demonetized. So the whole elements transform. I mean, even you're talking IP. That's what happened Mm -hmm. in the music industry. 1999, the rise of Napster, built on the back of the internet five years later. So I just want to pause for a little bit more context here that money is a store of value and it's agreed upon value here. And maybe it's because it's intangible But then you can make the argument, well, what's backing the dollar because we went off the gold standard. So there's that whole conversation. Right. Where do we go from here to try to gain some clarity around things like cryptocurrency, non-fungible tokens, Dow, all of that. And how do they all fit together so that we can at least Mm -hmm. get clarity into, okay, this is where we're at. This is where we've been. This is where we're at right now in the present moment. Where do we go from here? So let's come back to the present moment and get some context of where we're at right now.
1: Yeah, this is a really, uh, hopefully this is going to be a helpful question for us to explore because I had to sit with that question myself. Early on, I I entered the space like 2017. It was at the time the proliferation of um, the ICO boom and bust, right? Um, and it's like, what's the point? What is the point of this magic internet money, right? Mm. Um, And is it going to put into question my four licenses to practice law in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, DC? Like, I'm not interested. But then I started to explore all of the different ways or options that we have to exchange value depending upon your present needs. Sometimes I have physical cash. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I have... The equivalent of that in another country's currency through some type of foreign exchange. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have, uh, I use my credit card. Sometimes I use Zelle. Sometimes I use PayPal, Venmo, Cash App. Sometimes I'm sending a wire. Yeah. Sometimes if I could find my checkbook, it could be a check, whatever that is, right? All of the different options and opportunities, depending upon what your needs are in the moment. And also to distinguish, which is something I had to sit with and learn, between government issued currency and other forms of value that one would agree upon and recognize to your point of calorie shells, sugar, salt, the the, the laundry list goes on, the unfortunate horrible scourge of enslavement that had bodies as property. There have been a lot of things throughout the history of time um, where people agreed upon a value for exchange. And this will be the next wave of it. And I think it's so important for many reasons. One, because we have many borders in the world. There's so much going on in the world, not to make this a political statement per se, but money is politics in many respects because governments issue that for many reasons, uh, some of which have to do with the protection of borders. But imagine this world where the monetary system and value is not beholden to a particular border.
0: It's borderless.
1: Borderless, which makes it really, really powerful in times when we're seeing revolutionary and evolutionary change to an increasingly globalized society. So I think that's critically important as well.
0: That's a fantastic point because it comes back to that idea of of Peter Diamandis' 6D's model where it is decentralized because if you think about you know, the monetary system, centralization, the centralized bank, if you will. Mm-hmm. And now you have decentralization to where you almost can go outside of that to exchange value through crypto, through peer to peer. What are the implications for a financial brand? a bank, a community bank, even a credit union to be considering, because if I think about the last run-up, you know, what was it, like 2020, 2021 time period, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly on the Bitcoin side, but you saw in in all the different coins, and like you said, what is it, like 30,000 coins at this point? It's Um, mind-boggling. I've got a two-part question, and I I wanna come back to the coins, because there are so many different coins, everyone here is typically Bitcoin, Ethereum, why is it important to n- not know every single one, but <laughs> but what does that mean for those watching or listening who have, they've heard Bitcoin, they've heard Ethereum, but what does that actually really mean?
1: Yeah, I also kind of compare it to all of the different forms of currency around the world currently. I mean, a good way to think it's like, okay, we have the dollar, yen, you have euro, the, you know all beholden to a particular country, but you also have these projects that serve very different purposes as well. Um, I wouldn't necessarily categorize myself as a Bitcoin maximalist, but Bitcoin is the OG. It's the gold standard, uh, pun intended uh, in some sense. And there are many that forked the code, the underlying code for Bitcoin to make the next Bitcoin Bitcoin The next Bitcoin, whatever that means, unless and until I see that, I don't find a reason to have anything that is the next Bitcoin. You have Bitcoin and then you have choices to make about other things, obviously coming from the decentralized finance space as well. um, I understand and appreciate very much that there are projects that use tokens, either one to fund be careful with that, but also too, they have many other reasons besides the purpose that Satoshi laid out for Bitcoin that serve interesting purposes as well. It also makes me think of the first use case for web 2.0, for example, was electronic mail, which we almost never open now. And think of look at all the cool things that we're doing, the amazing transformative things that we're doing with the internet that we couldn't have Contemplated when Gumble, uh, Brian Gumble, and Katie Keurig were talking about what is electronic mail, and let's get an intern in here. That's to right. Figure it out, right?
0: You remember what's that? The, what's the at sign? I actually, right. I I showed, I I've showed that at some planning sessions because it like how quickly we forget how far we've come in really a relatively Absolutely. short period of time.
1: Absolutely. So it's important to spend some time. This is the uh, the ethos and the spirit of the crypto economy also comes from. Financial privacy, autonomy, self-sufficiency, self-determination. There's a lot of power in that, but also a lot of responsibility sure. to not abdicate our individual responsibility to someone else to not worry our pretty little heads about the details. No, the, the power is in the details. Um, and so that calls us to at least figure out what's the difference between and the point of the difference between Bitcoin, ETH. Obviously, like, you know, XRP, Mm -hmm. you got the meme coins, you have stables, you have central bank digital currencies. This is the language of the future of money, of the future of work, of the future of wealth. It will become increasingly important with more uh, space economy exploration. Like what would be the economy in space? Right. Are we still going to be beholden to particular countries or we have something more global? Uh, what would be the global and universal <laughs> reserve? These are the reasons that we have to figure this out. Um, not all 30,000, right? Um, but start where you are and definitely start with the ones that have the greatest historical timeline that you can look back to January of 2009 and says, okay, this has some staying power. What's this about?
0: It's, it's interesting because... You know, you go back to 2009, so that's 15 years from kind of the birth of the internet or at least internet reaching mass consciousness of humanity and the Katie Couric, Brian, go, it's a fantastic, at this point, <laughs> kind of meme looking back. Then 2013 was when Ethereum came up. Now you've got, and, and this is, I think, the intersection of intellectual property, smart contracts, Connect those dots back to the coin. What does that mean? What's how does how does the the smart contracts play into the coins themselves mm-hmm. as a store of value or value exchange? And I've got to follow up to this in a minute of where I think we'll probably see an increase value here mm-hmm. as we move further into the age of AI particularly around things like deep fakes and authentication. So mm. where where do the smart contracts play into this idea of, of cryptocurrency?
1: Yeah, this is interesting, particularly when you think about um, decentralized protocols or those those base layers, those layer one solutions that will allow for the internet to perform like a supercomputer and for people to then monetize or not on top of the build on top of that infrastructure to um, automate certain if then functions, Mm -hmm. right? As a lawyer, when I hear contract, I thought of something completely different than the automated performance that little bits of code can do and enable to remove a lot of the friction of things that, you know, we were paying people a a rent sinking premium to do. Um, I have no fear that lawyers will be uh, replaced, great. There's a lot of things that I had to babysit and do and people were paying me hundreds of dollars to do that I didn't want to do, wasn't the best at doing and I shouldn't be involved. Like, let me do the it depends work, but let's automate the if then sequence, right? Mm So now when I think of smart contracts and that rudimentary example that we tend to use like a vending machine, if if I want a soda, I have $2 and it's $1.50. I don't need anybody to be there to, God willing, let the soda drop and give me my 50 cents change and I'll be on my way. And then you extrapolate that into some really important and sophisticated things as a matter of decentralized finance to truly be your own bank, to truly leverage your own crypto assets and pull out value in the same way you might pull out equity in a home. Right. Um, that's really powerful stuff, and that's some of the stuff that we will see smart contracts and also wallet addresses leading to identity.
0: Yeah, and that that idea of identity comes back to, you know, you have your identity in the physical world, but then you have your mm-hmm. identity in the digital world, which is becoming increasingly under potential threat with the rise of AI, deep fakes, I mean, you, you're seeing headlines now, uh, celebrities uh, getting deep faked to promote product uh, right. through social media. And where might digital money play a way to authenticate who a person really is? And it might not necessarily be digital money, but it might be the the, mm-hmm. the Blockchain layer behind all of it that plays a role here. What 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 am I yeah. missing with this?
1: Yeah, you you're spot on with respect to the underlying technology and what I alluded to a bit ago about. Right now, we are focused on, on wallet addresses. You know, this alphanumeric um, uh, chain <laughs> that uniquely identifies the holder of a particular um, cryptocurrency. But the idea of going beyond that, not just in the fungible token space, but also getting back to your earlier point of a non-fungible token, which becomes this unique identifier with some type of metadata that points to what right now we're focused on, maybe creativity or experience, but also could uniquely and pseudonymously point to a particular person. Mm. I think that's going to be the ultimate flex. I uh, That's... When we get there, and I think we're going to have to get there sooner than later, given the impact of machine learning, artificial intelligence, deep fakes, um, everything that you've mentioned before, that is a a, a huge and pressing concern that this novel combination of existing technology of cryptography, consensus, internet, peer-to-peer, has placed us in the position to do some really exciting things, not even just for currency but for identity um which brings safety and and all sorts of um really important benefits
0: well that that idea of of crypto and and you move it into the nft of the non tangible non-fungible token space Mm -hmm. um you you've got that whole narrative that was being shaped by you know intangible assets going for millions and millions and millions of dollars uh i mean who was leading the way with that uh board ape for example yeah, for uh sure. was was kind of the rise out of that that narrative but it's and the very, punks yeah, yeah exactly yeah it's very hard though for someone to understand well, why would someone quote unquote invest in an intangible asset that they don't own but they but that's where I think ownership. Coming back to the point of your, uh, you know, legal background, how does ownership play into this? Because there is ownership here; it's just not physical.
1: Right, right. Because I mean, we have to, you know, some of the comparisons I use to at least get people to appreciate what the non fungible token is, which is an asset in its own right, but really pointing to and connecting. The um, evidence of ownership or at least a connection Hmm. to some person place thing. Correct. Right. And so the best way to even at a high level uh, understand that connection is to think of the deed to a house versus a house. Yep. And yes, you know, I could drive down the street and take a picture of a house. I could frame the the picture of the house. I could hang that picture in my house. Maybe I could even sell that as well. But I don't own the house.
0: (laughs) And if
1: I'm fine with that, that's fine as well. Or, uh, But the deed is my ability to uh, exercise kind of dominion control or the connection to this other asset. Um, And the same can be true. And then when we think of intellectual property, I start off all of my IP surveys say, you know, we're talking about um, uh, not physical, but actual property that is created with the mind that we evidence in some physical or tangible form, but the copyright is not the copyrighted creative or artistic content. The copyright is the uh, state given rights to exclusive rights over this property for a certain period of time. And it's also those property rights are created by uh, government as well. So I think once people start to unpack what that means, then makes it easier to make the connection of this next intellectual leap, I think.
0: That right there is that next thing. It's like, where are we going from here? Is that future focus? Because if we think back to 2020-21, I know there are a lot of community financial brands that were caught off guard. They were unaware of the deposit loss from moving Mm -hmm. assets, deposit assets out of their quote unquote dominion control to use your words Mm -hmm. into the crypto market whether that be bitcoin was the big one or any of the other coins they weren't even aware and i'm like well well, go look at your transactions how much was moving from you to say just a coinbase for example and then it's kind of quieted down like it, (laughs) it has not been a big big point of conversation over the past couple of years but i think that was just the tip of the iceberg it was the first iteration and it's going to come back um right now is kind of a bit of a lull what should a community institution be thinking about going forwards into the future when it comes to digital money where are the opportunities that they could be aware of to continue to create value for their members or for their account holders
1: this is such an important time in any down market. I feel like this is my third because things get quiet. We talk about people building because you're not chasing price action. Uh, people are kind of licking their wounds and, and reorganizing from an investor point of view. Folks are kind of repositioning themselves. This is the best time for business leaders, for brands to learn without the FOMO pressure of, you know, on the pure investor side. We spend so much time talking about the investor side, it's important. Personally, I am invested in the market. Professionally, I have earned different types of cryptocurrencies in my tenure, but the best and biggest um and most impactful relationship that I've had with the future of the digital economy is my professional pivot. My ability kind of in this, I know I look very young, but on the inside, I'm quite old, a um, Forbes over 50. <laughs> Listy and so kind of like at this mid-level of my career. How do you remain relevant in a world that changes not in decades, not in years? In many instances, hashtag AI, not even in months. And AI's been around a long time, but coming in to your earlier point of public consciousness. The risk that business leaders are subjecting themselves, their C-suite, their workforce and their relationships with partners and their ability to be viable in the future is created right now. It it harkens back to that pivotal moment between, you know, blockbusters or Netflix. Like, which set are you repping, as the young folks would say? Where are you going to fall? And we don't have the luxury of time. Mm-mm. We don't have the luxury of time to wait for legal to come down the hall and tell us it's okay now. Yeah. Cause it's a both and scenario where learning and positioning yourself because we're still relatively early, not even relatively early. We're still early. Uh, this is the opportunity to learn so that you can lead.
0: As we wrap up, I, I want to give people some context here. Alvin Toffler in the 1970s wrote the illiterate of the 21st century will, be, will not be those who cannot read and write, but it'll be those who cannot learn, unlearn and relearn. And I think right now is a great unlearning, relearning opportunity. Where can they grab your book, Tanya, to relearn for this new future? That is, it's coming and there's a lot of fear, uncertainty yeah. and doubt. But you have a path forward to guide them. Where can they grab your book and how can they connect with you?
1: Absolutely. The book just launched on October 24th. So it is out in the world and available wherever books are sold. Uh, if you want the, the fast track to quickly connect with me and the book, you can go to digitalmoneydemystified.com. That will lead you to my free weekly uh, Digital Money Demystified investor digest and also the professional version of that that focuses on business rather than pure investment. I have master classes, I have VIP training and consulting opportunities and all of that can um you can find all of that at digitalmoneydemystified.com.
0: Get the book, connect with Tanya. Tanya, this has been such a great conversation. Thanks again for joining me for another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Thank you so much. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and be the light.